This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Compare that to all the men that were just asked, you have to stay and fight and help us stay afloat. And like no one complained. Everybody's putting all the efforts in, even those that are not drafted. They are still helping to bring women and children to the border. Everyone's working together. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi everyone, I wanted to jump on here and do a brief solo intro for today's episode. So. Today's a bit different than our previous episodes of Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. Today, we're going to actually talk with an incredible Ukrainian-American physician named Mariana Bloke. And Mariana is this incredible human. She was kind enough to help me be my translator via FaceTime when I went to volunteer to provide medical care at the Ukraine-Poland border for the refugees. So if you don't follow me on social media, this may be new information for you. Um, So just to give you a brief overview, when the war broke out in Ukraine, it was devastating for all of us seeing this on the news. You know, we've just gone through as a world to see everything that happened with COVID and now to see a war break out, another war, because there's, you know, continuously war all over the world was heartbreaking. I saw pictures of uh, children's hospital with pediatric cancer patients getting chemo in a basement while their city was being bombed. And I thought of how lucky we are here in the U.S. and how when my niece went through chemo for leukemia, she was fortunate enough to have the safety and stability of living here in America. And imagining any child or human going through medical treatments during the war really started to break my heart. So I felt compelled to help in a way that I could contribute something of value my medical skills. I found out a brave and wonderful Ukrainian-American urologist named Laura Bukovina traveled to the Poland-Ukraine border of Medica. And she actually just showed up to volunteer with SSF Rescuers Without Borders. Her colleague, Alberto Castro, joined her. And she told me they were the only two physicians covering the border at night and they needed more help. And this was on a Tuesday. And by Friday, I was on a plane to Poland to volunteer. And I even got my friend from medical school, who's a cardiologist, to also join me. Laura and Alberto had to leave on Thursday, but we got there Friday. And the next week, we spent working nights at the Medica border, meeting the Ukrainian refugees, the bravest women, children, and elderly individuals you can imagine. 
Our medical tent was the first stop for them when they crossed the border. We were the only two doctors overnight for the week, and we saw a wide range of issues, ranging from acute issues like arrhythmias, like AFib with RVR, to hypothermia, and to chronic conditions that were exacerbated by the exhaustive trek that so many of them had to make to escape the war in Ukraine. Some walking for hours upon hours in the freezing cold, and some people awake for two, three days straight. Mariana, who will you meet in this episode, reached out to me on social media and offered to translate for us via FaceTime 24 hours a day for the entire duration of the time we were there. You'll also meet her wonderful mom, Natalia, who also helped us with translation, and she worked as a pharmacist for years in Ukraine. Mariana's a doctor in New York. This was unbelievably powerful for us as we were able to connect to patients through and with Mariana in real time. She was able to really help us help them and connect with them because so many of these brave refugees were going through more than I could ever imagine. They were leaving their husbands, their fathers, their cousins, their loved ones behind as men between the ages of 18 upwards, I believe the upper limit was 60 or 65, I can't remember to be exact, had to stay in Ukraine to be possibly drafted into the fight. So they were leaving family members. They were leaving the lives they, they, they always knew. And some of them were escaping the war after their loved ones were just killed, leaving their entire lives behind without being able to mourn the losses of their loved ones who'd already passed. Pure pain is what I saw. It was heartbreaking, literally excruciating to see, but tremendous bravery. The strength of these refugees, every single woman, child, and elderly person who crossed that border exemplified strength, dignity, kindness, and compassion. They were filled with so much gratitude, love, and appreciation. We were given more hugs, and we gave more hugs than you can even count. One thing I did want to touch on is that a theme of our podcast, which applies here, is misinformation and disinformation and trying to really crack the world of misinformation in the health space. The Russian leadership propaganda is now quite extreme, and you'll hear from Mariana more about this, but one of the Russian leadership pieces of disinformation they're spreading to the Russian people is that they're going into Ukraine to liberate citizens from neo-Nazis who are harming Ukrainian Jews. This could not be more false. When I was at the Ukraine-Poland border, our team had gone into Ukraine and rescued two 90-year-old Ukrainian Holocaust survivors. These two beautiful and kind, caring and loving individuals were being rescued from the Russian invasion and this Russian group, which had bombed their town and killed their neighbors. Thank God these two lovely, amazing humans were able to escape and they were safe. And it was such an honor for us to care for them. To see this level of disinformation in action in a war zone, it was just mind blowing to me. Disinformation kills. But all we can do is do our best to keep moving forward and keeping intellectual honesty at the forefront of what we do with regards to many things in our lives. Last thing before the podcast episode is one happy story. So if you follow me on social media, you might remember me telling you about my Ukrainian little buddy, Tim. He's a 13-year-old boy who I took care of in Medica at the border when he and his mom had crossed the Ukraine border. Tim and his mom had to leave his father's grandparents, aunts, and uncles behind to escape the war where bombings and shelling were nonstop and continuous 24-7. He also had to leave his cat, who he loves dearly. When I met Tim and his mom, they came to our medical tent because they were hoping for somewhere warm to wait. And they were provided with very limited information about who was picking them up through a group they had met, which they had formed while traveling to the border. People were still trying to sort out their next steps, where to go, where to stay. 
and they had found someone who could provide them temporary housing in Italy. They came to our medical tent, and for hours, they were just silent, just absolutely silent, stoic and still. They said they didn't want to be in the way. They said they didn't want to make a noise. It was freezing cold out, and at some point around 4 a.m., we lost our generator power in the tent that we were in, and we started to freeze. I begged Tim and his mom through Mariana's translation to come with me to the other medical tent we had set up where we had a wood-burning fire place running, and we were all at risk of hypothermia in the outdoor cold if we remained that way for hours. Tim's mom said, I cannot leave here. This is the only place they know to pick me up, and I have no contact of someone to reach. If I leave here, we lose our chance to get a ride to Italy. And she said, we lose our chance of staying with this family in Italy. And she said she would remain there with blankets. It was heartbreaking. She was so scared and so brave at the same time. I couldn't leave them. So I ran around trying to find someone who could get our generator back on. And finally, we found a way to fix it. And we were all able to warm up. While we were warming up, I saw a bag of candy we had in our medical tent. And I offered some to Tim and his mom. Tim and I both ate a piece of sugar-covered candy at the same time. We bit into it and both realized that inside was black licorice, and we both immediately spit it out, and we started laughing hysterically. Even though we didn't speak the same language, me and this 13-year-old Ukrainian refugee, we could understand each other. Then when one of the other volunteers came into the tent, Tim offered them the same candy, looked at me, and giggled. We both watched the other volunteer eat it and go gross. And we both laughed hysterically as if we had our own inside joke that no one else would get. So I called Mariana and I asked her if she could translate for me and Tim and his mom as they waited for their ride. We spoke for an hour. At first, he told us how scary it all was and how he was worried about his family and how he was looking up the war online on YouTube. But then Tim started to tell us funny stories like a normal 13-year-old would about his cat at home, different family trips they'd taken, his grandmother's dachshund that he loves, and all of his hobbies and interests. We told Tim and his mom to stay in touch with us, and they did. He followed us on Instagram, and Mariana would translate through a group chat, and she was able to talk to his mom on the phone too. And they're now safely in Italy. So Mariana and I are starting a GoFundMe for Tim and his mom for them to start their new life. 100% of any donation you provide will go directly to Tim and his mother. So if you're able to, please consider donating to Tim and his mom as they've lost their home and everything they own and as they navigate a new life as refugees. And we'll provide the link for the GoFundMe in the show notes. Also, if you're interested, my two other favorite organizations are Rescuers Without Borders, who I volunteered with, and World Central Kitchen, who are both doing incredible work in Ukraine and at the border. We'll also leave those links in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this episode with Mariana and Natalia. Here's to praying for peace. Hi, everyone. And we are here today with Dr. Mariana, who you all know from my Instagram, I've mentioned a lot because she helped us with a lot of our translating while we were in Ukraine. And as you know, from the intro, she's an amazing Ukrainian American physician. And actually her mom is here too, who's a pharmacist from Ukraine. They're both going to be able to give us some perspective of what their viewpoint is that's been going on. But I just wanted to start out with just saying thank you both so much for, for coming to chat with me today. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for having us. And we want to thank you again from the bottom of our hearts for going out there to the Polish-American border and helping out 
refugees from Ukraine and to helping them cope and providing medical care and even hugs for the little ones when they were needed so badly. And we really enjoyed and appreciated being part of your journey. Well, you're so sweet. We we could not have done it without you. So for everyone listening, Mariana and her mom are the most amazing, selfless people we met on social media. When I went over to the Ukraine-Polish border, um, our, our biggest concern was the language barrier and that we weren't going to be able to communicate with patients. And Mariana and her mom selflessly made themselves available 24-7 for us to FaceTime them, to ask them to translate for us for um, the patients, which helped drastically. I actually feel like it was just such a game changer because when you try to use Google Translate and things like that, there's just no active, you know, live feedback of what's going on. And you guys were able to really help us put things in perspective. So tell everyone about you, Mariana, and your mom. I'd love you both to introduce yourselves tell your story, where you're from, and and give everyone just an understanding about you guys. Okay. So my name is Mariana Block, and my family immigrated from Ukraine in 1992. So we essentially, um, you know, as many of you know, Ukraine independence was gained, I believe, around August 1991. So I got to experience something very unique because you know, born in the 80s and having lived through that decade in um, that part of the world, I got to experience parts of socialism that were still remaining in Ukraine prior um, it gaining its independence. And then basically one of the reasons we left was, you know, religious persecution, being Jewish was a very tough situation. Um, in Ukraine. So we were fortunate enough to have family members that came before us. And we basically followed other family members to come to America. Um, it was definitely a journey. It's, I, I think of it as two different lifetimes. I, I lived in two different worlds. Beginning of my life, it was I lived in a very different environment, very different country. And when I got to the States, um, it was kind of like a second beginning for us. And it was a very wonderful experience. It gave me a lot of life lessons and a lot of appreciation for what United States has offered us and the opportunities. Everything from amazing, incredible physicians that personally helped me with a few of the health issues I had as a child to the opportunities I've gained as an adult and becoming a physician in the States and being able to help and uh, give back to a lot of the Eastern European communities in New York that I work with. So I think I have a very special perspective on everything. And I really learned to appreciate everything that I got from, and I learned from both countries I lived in. Hi, everyone. My name is Natalia. I'm from Ukraine. And actually, I lived in Vinica City, Vinica City, like, not far away from Kiev, and uh, all my relatives still there, they still live there. I have a lot of relatives around Ukraine, like every part of the Ukraine my relatives live, and now it's a terrible time for everybody, and some families in safe place, but some families really next to the Kiev, like um, Brovary, you know, Irpin, this territory and their houses was bombed 
and thanks God they survived but because the bomb fell on the house of one uh, my cousin and is not explored and this is saved their life because it just fell in and not explored. It didn't detonate. Yeah. Oh my God. Another cousin had the same, but it just was the bomb felt on their um, backyard. It's uh, um, like a part of the house was destroyed, but they are still alive. Like, you know, um, I'm praying every day for their lives. It's very hard, you know. And my mom, still, she's eight years old. She lives in still next to the Vinitsa. It's like a village. And they are um, having a lot of people from Kharkov. It's a refugee from Kharkov. They, uh, my mom took the family seven seven people family in her house and she's uh, uh, gave them like a place to live gave them food and they are live in her house like for two weeks i think and then they are moved to uh, chernovtsi next to the border the, yeah. the border you know the, the and my uh, aunties help a lot too they uh, they had the refugees it's it's still they have bombing there because the uh, Russian Federation was bombing airport it's like 20 kilometers from from the place where is my relatives live uh, and the, they are bombed um, like a big military um, base base it's like seven kilometers from the where is my mom live where is my mom's house it's like very strange very terrible very you know i'm checking the news every day and it's hard for me because you know i want to take my mom here but she said no i'm gonna live in my country on my land and you know i'm old i want to stay there whatever it's gonna be it's gonna be yeah it's very tough we wake up every morning like in the u.s trying to reach our relatives to see, get a head count to make sure everyone is okay. Oh um, that, you know, and we have, we do have family all over. I myself was born in Zaporizhia, which is a little more south of Zaporizhia, yeah, Zaporizhia where it's more south of uh, Kiev. So that's it's where the whole, the big reactor was taken over the first nuclear reactor. So that was the city I was born in. And we have a few family and friends are there. And basically, you know, I spoke with them from time to time, like they were just, you know, on the lockdown, they were hiding out. Um it's literally every day you wake up, you take an account to make sure that everyone is okay, talking to them, seeing if uh, at least they have all the essentials for now. And then it's just like a repeated cycle over and over. It's like a nightmare that you wake up and you have to um, face every day. But, you know, we're very grateful at the fact that everyone is okay. The we're so thankful. Whole world, like everybody, Americans, like uh, Europeans, Europeans, everybody, everybody, you know, what they support Ukraine. You know, it's very, very nice. Like, you know, Ukraine never forget this, and they are gonna be thankful. They all the life, you know, all people, they are gonna be very thankful for everybody because Ukraine is such a nice country, such a beautiful country, you know, and the people very nice, very friendly. It's hard to talk about. Yeah. It. Yeah. We really appreciate the amount of support, the outpour. We actually are amazed as 
how much our neighbors, our community has come together um, to help out. And even driving in the city in Manhattan, um, so many businesses have put up Ukrainian flags. Like we stand united, we stand together. Um, and everybody's doing a fundraiser and trying to um, help out for the cause. So it's been an amazing feeling. I can't imagine with, with so much of your life, you know, spent there, especially for you, Natalia, so much of your life spent there, so much of your family still there. And for both of you, so much of your family and friends still there. Did you ever think, I know that this has kind of been brewing with Russia, but did you guys ever think that this would actually happen the way it's happened? No, no, we never was thinking, you know, it's going to happen to our neighbors. And especially we have so many relatives in Moscow, in, in Russia. It's our relatives live there, you know, and it's it's terrible. You know, today I saw the news and one guy who lived in Russia and his mom lived in Ukraine and he came you know, to Ukraine to bomb his mom's house. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how it's, it's very hard? It's very hard because we was neighbor. You know, it's, a, I don't know, this politic. I don't know. We never was we, thinking what is going right. to happen with, with, with the, you know, like with Russia, with Ukraine. There, there was talks that, you know, before the war started, we were just we never would imagine that it would come to this level of aggression. Um, when my mom came in in the middle of the night, the the when the attack started, it was in New York. It was like in the middle middle of the night, like one or two a.m. And she said they started attacking Ukraine. Like we could not believe it. We thought it was like a local attack somewhere in the border. And then when we woke up next morning to like the entire news of it, it was just like unbelievable. When you talk to your friends that people that you know that are in moscow what what's their take on what's going on like what because it's the news has been filtered i know for them it's definitely filtered so it's a lot of that propaganda bs going on i mean my family that moved from ukraine to russia they have they married and they moved on to one one or two families live in like right outside of um, Moscow, they're aware what's going on because they do speak to the their family back in Ukraine. Instagram still works. Okay. Um, oh wow. Okay. Right. Instagram still works. Uh, WhatsApp works. Instagram works um, because I do communicate with a few cousins that are you know from Ukraine that live in Russia. They have their own set of hardships because of all the uh, sanctions that have been placed. But if you have no connection to family or friends in Ukraine. There is very little information coming in as far as like what is actually really happening. The media is so filtered there that they can open the mouth, you know, they can do anything. They they want to, you know, like go to strike or do something Protest, but yeah. protesting, but they can't because they are going to be killed or uh, thrown in jail or thrown in jail or something else. And they are, you know, my cousin daughter she has three three children and she's afraid to say something you know i'm i'm her godmother and she calling me calling me the, all the time and she says i don't know what to do i don't know i want to leave this country and i don't know what to do I, I, you know we can't say any word there and i'm afraid about my children you know because yeah. it's very hard you know Every, Every family, I, I think every family in Ukraine has a relatives in Russia. 
Right. Every family, every family. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine what, what that feels like for you guys and for them, because it's also, I think you made an important point that the the people in Russia that are going through their own hardships right now with sanctions and, and they are not, they are not the government. So I think that's also something important to keep in mind that they're, you know, the people that live there, obviously there's plenty of people in Russia who disagree with the, with the war and that are feeling, you know, um, heartbroken about it as well. But it is in this day and age of misinformation, you know, I talk about medical misinformation all the time, but the misinformation that's gone on about this war is, is so frightening, especially because, you know, the way Putin has put out about neo-Nazis and has made it into this entire uh, idea that, you know, he's saving these, uh, these people in Ukraine. You know, when I met those two Holocaust survivors that were 90 years old that were rescued from Eastern Ukraine, um, that, you know, are Jewish that had survived the Holocaust when they were children and to meet them in person and think that there's this other side of the world where all this misinformation is being spread. It's just, it's mind boggling. And the, the people in Russia, you know, they're just, you know, the victims of the misinformation too. From what we gather, even like we, we do get a lot of the news from there, just our Eastern European communities to have access to uh, more media directly from there. It's just you know, everybody is baffled. The president of Ukraine is Jewish. How can you call right. someone in Nazi who is Jewish? Right. And um, Russian speaking Jewish. Right. He speaks Ukrainian, but he's Russian speaking right. Jewish person. So a lot of the cities that are more closer, like that are closer towards the uh, Russian border, like Mariupol, Kharkov, mm-hmm. even the city where I grew up, Zaporozhye. Um, we are primarily Russian speakers. You don't in the city. You don't really find a lot of Ukrainian speakers. Um, those cities are very close to Russia. So it, this is the one thing that came up even in the beginning of the war. You have soldiers that look alike that don't have markings. Like that was one thing that was brought up. Like you know, the Russian soldiers were told to remove their markings that they were from Russia. Ukrainian soldiers didn't have their marks on their uniform they both spoke russian wow who do you know? how do you know who's who you wow. know Red part, yeah. right so it's you know but a lot it's of confusing things you know so it's it's it th- that's the point that they made like you're you're hurt, you're hurting and killing your own and it's just oh my the devastation i mean what's happened to mariupol i mean is it's, it's completely it's not devastated complete. it's no city anymore it's just people still some some people sitting in the basements there oh. And they are, they are, can't get out there because it's bombing every day. They don't have a food. They don't have a heat. They don't have water. They don't have a food. Nothing, like nothing, you know. And I don't know how it's, it, it's like, it's a catastrophe, you know. It, it really is. It's it's horrible. And I, I'm so thankful that you both are safe, but I, I just can't imagine the amount of stress you feel, like you said, checking in on your family and friends every day, just, you know, wishing for the best and preparing for the worst. It's just a, uh, an awful time. And, and I, I actually was wondering if you guys could give some perspective, because when you were doing those amazing uh, translations for us, 
I remember Mariana, you had mentioned that a lot of the women that we were um, seeing um, had mentioned a similar theme that they were, because everyone was saying like, well, what happens once they get to the border? And you think that, you know, you think that, okay, that's it. You know, they're safe. Everything's over, but there's actually like an entire journey afterwards. If you could just kind of explain and then even talk about your, your own cousin. Yeah. So, well, the theme that, you know, I came to realize and see along with you uh, when you were taking care of these patients is essentially as the primarily women and children were, you know, traveling through the various parts of Ukraine and the journey was, you know, by buses, by, you know, uh, trains to the border and then waiting for endless hours to cross the border. They almost like formed groups and cliques, like one person out of the group knew someone perhaps that was willing to take up people in Italy or another, um, another person, another group had connections in a certain part of Poland. And they just kind of like, clustered together and even when for example once you know one person needed medical attention to check i remember it was an older lady that needed to check the blood pressure mariupol yeah right and the the theme is well i can't stay here long i have to move on with my group i can't be left behind or uh, tim and his mom who tim for anyone listening that follows me on instagram you know you know tim mariana helped me talk to tim he was he's the best and and, uh oh everyone loves tim so tim and his mom they uh found family that was heading to italy and they were willing you know they were willing to take on a few more families um so they kind of formed a little group together and when tim came with his mom to get some um help from you guys she didn't want to move from that tent Mm -hmm. even though you guys lost heat because she's like i have to stay here those people are going to come get me we're going to go with Mm -hmm. them and i didn't understand so in that moment i didn't understand so when tim and his mom came to the tent we actually so we had two medical tents and one of the medical tents when we were there now the system is unbelievable ever since we went now they have volunteers 24 hours a day they have nurses doctors they really a lot of people after we reached out on social media a lot of people started volunteering and now they have like a fully equipped uh, medical team there at all at all hours but when we were there it was just me and Preeti were the only two doctors overnight and so we were splitting up across at two different medical tents and the tent we were at with Tim and his mom the uh, generator went out and there was no power and the, there wasn't a fire, a fireplace in that tent. And it was absolutely freezing cold. I was so concerned that Tim and his mom were going to that. And me too, that we were all going to get hypothermia. It was so freezing. And so I, I was actually, I had Marianne on the phone for hours. We were begging, begging Tim and his mom to move to the other tent that was warmer and you explained to me, I had no idea because she was so persistent. And you mentioned the fear that she had that if she moved, she would lose her entire way out of Poland even. Right, exactly. It's just, you know, she had a plan. Someone was willing to take them. And she was just, she kept on saying, I cannot leave. This is the point of contact. They're supposed to come get us. We have to stay here regardless of what happens. Just give us extra blankets, do whatever you can, but we can't leave. that moment was so heartbreaking because they, they clearly felt so bad, like that they were, you know, keeping us in this cold tent. It was because she had, she 
truly had no other option. And so thankfully, uh, you know, I stayed with them and thankfully the, the generator, we got someone to get the generator back on and we were able to warm up eventually. Um, but, you know, just thinking of how brave uh, the, these women that, that we spoke to were the, the patients we saw and just how brave they were and how stoic that one patient that you helped me with from Mariupol, uh, who was the sweetest woman in the world who gave us her box of chocolates. And she, she had, oh my God, she had me in tears. She, she was so sweet. She had nothing. She had one bag and, and she was really sick. And she came in super hypertensive, wasn't feeling well. And like you said, you you got this inside view because you could understand her her language, and we got the perspective through you. And you were telling us she wants to go. She, if you can even explain her perspective, because that was, it was just mind blowing to me how how stoic these women had to be to to get yeah, to continue she, on that you know, path. Another thing with with her and other women was that they, you know it's complete girl power in Ukraine. Women do not ask for help. And they, if you offer to them, it's looked upon like, wow, I'm not helpless or, um, I can do this. Yeah. Even though, even though a lot of, you know, people there did need the extra help, especially when, when they have not been taking their meds on a regular basis, or they didn't have the meds with them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of fear. Like I can't end my journey here. I have to go on. So I'm going to put everything I have aside and I'll figure it out later. Even, even health issue wise, you know, but I have to just move forward because I just, they're in survival mode. They're in fight or flight survival mode. And these women, like, I cannot speak enough for the, for the bravery, like, and the stoicism and how strong they were loving, caring, and just so wonderful. Like every person we met was just hugging us endlessly and so appreciative, but so strong, so strong, like literally the strength of, they were walking for hours and hours and hours in the cold. And those little kids that were bundled up in the freezing cold as well. And it's just, what was your vibe that you got from all the women you spoke to? Do you feel like they were just in that survival mode and they were just, it was just in a survival mode. I mean, every time I, I spoke to a new patient, when you guys FaceTime, it just gave me chills. You know, I think my most memorable one was that little boy that had an allergic reaction. Like I'm an allergy mom and I'm, I'm a helicopter mom. My son has a lot of food allergies and we carry all the meds that, you know, the epinephrine, the Benadryl, everything with us. And basically this mom came into the tent, the kid was having an allergic reaction and there was nothing. She had nothing on her. She just literally took the child and they ran to the border. I mean, and this is a child with known allergies. So I would, if I was just thinking, like looking back and thinking about her, like if I just had to pick up my child and literally go, like the ideas would run through my head is like, what am I going to feed this allergy child? Like, how am I going to make sure he or she's okay? Like I, my heart just went out to her. Like I, I when I was interpreting for her, I, I was just crying because and I was worried. You saw how I was worried. I'm like, is are his vitals okay now? Is he doing better? Just because it was just so scary. Like I was able to put myself in those shoes, and it was just frightening. It was just so scary. You're right. It's for a mom who obviously like known allergies. Obviously, a mom who you know loves her children endlessly. It just goes to show how 
when you're escaping a war and you're, you know, running out in the middle of a war that like she was not able to just go to CVS and pick up, you know, the prescriptions for the family. You know, she literally is escaping a war. And so that's a lot of the people we met. You know, you meet these people that were not able to just go to their pharmacy. Their pharmacies has been bombed. You know, that patient from Mariupol that we met too, like all of Mariupol had been destroyed and leveled and you know they're coming with one bag and and a lot of times that doesn't include their medications because there it's just not possible and yeah you're right that little boy was so sweet and thankfully he did amazingly well he did great um the rash even got better by the time he he left so thankfully uh wasn't a severe allergic reaction but you know just being a parent and 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 or being any sort of caretaker people that were caring for the elderly helping the elderly across or children or even just themselves was just so frightening you think that when you hear about the refugees and you think about okay well they've made it to Poland so they're safe and then i think that once i got there i realized their journey's just begun like they have to start in a new country with a new language find their way. And most of them, for all of them, their children and their dads were, were still in Ukraine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a perfect example, my cousin, she had to flee. Um, so she lives near Vinitsa. So she had to flee Ukraine at oh. 37 weeks pregnant. She, she left Ukraine for Poland. And basically from what she told me, it was a two day journey for her to get to the border. They helped to expedite things for her, given that, you know, in her condition, they were able to see that there is no way she could stand on the long lines. So that was, thankfully, we were very grateful for that. And she had found a very nice Polish family that was able to take her in, uh, give her a room. And as you know, we did a whole fundraiser GoFundMe page for her to uh, help support her, at least to get the essentials. You know, she she has a little room. She has a couch. Basically, a couple of baby things were donated. So we were able to get her, you know, a crib, a car seat, a stroller, everything essential wise that she needs. And also to have money for costs, you know, living costs for food, for everything else. And um it's just the beginning. And she had to leave her husband, her husband. So and you can talk about that too, about how the men are staying in Ukraine and how, and at all we met were women and children right. because the dads and uh, between a certain age, they're, um, they're, they have to stay in Ukraine for a possible draft in the army, if you can. Right. So <clears throat> due to martial law, any male from age of 18 to 60 is not allowed to leave. And essentially, her husband was not allowed to go, even though she was pregnant, they didn't let him uh, leave. And uh, she just made the decision to go by herself. Um, He's still there. He's uh, basically, from what I understand, he's helping to drive women and children from the city where they live, what's actually outside the city by a village, closer towards the border. So he's kind of running back and forth driving, you know, refugees, trying women and children that are trying to leave Ukraine. The theme that I'm getting from everybody is that, you know, not a single man has complained, like, why am I left behind? Why am I forced to do this? Which is very interesting, because I spoke to a few of my, you know, colleagues in medicine, like we had such a difficult time here in the States trying to um, have a good mask mandate enforced and trying to get unity in order to people to wear masks and to respect one another and by not spreading COVID. And there were so many 
protests in even in my own hometown there was an actual like protest out, outside for lifting the mask mandate and compare that to all the men that were just asked you have to stay and fight and help us stay afloat and like no one complained everybody's putting all the efforts in even those that are not drafted they are still helping to bring women and children to the border everyone's working together it just gave me the chills you saying that because you think of like even every woman patient we saw that we spoke to and every patient I saw for my entire week there, not one of them complained. Not, there was not one complaint. No, the answer was, I'm okay. I have to move forward. That their blood pressure reading was like 200 over hundred. Not one complaint, and, and 10, you know, just, just, just strength and moving right. forward. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm going forward that type of situation. And it's just the beginning. And I spoke to my cousin today. She had her baby yesterday, little Daria. And she said, well, I have to figure out what to do now. I can't live in these people's house for, for months. I have to look for my own place. I have to figure out the situation. I don't know how long this will be. So this is, it's, it's the beginning for her. It's a very tricky and very sad and very complex issue. I mean, I wish I could bring her here as a refugee to help her out. At least my family's here to help her with the baby and just to have more emotional support versus being alone. But including her, she even said, I I really don't want to leave Poland. I need to be closer to home. I want to go back home. Everybody wants to go back home. Interestingly enough, so so we have these two medical tents and I think you actually served to translate for a few of these from Marie. And at that medical tent, people were constantly stopping by to ask how to get back to Ukraine. Yeah. And I remember thinking like people wanted to go back because they, they wanted to go back for their pets or their, their mom or their daughter, you know, and it was just, it was just unbelievable because there, there really is so much like bravery, but also just so much unity that people do feel really loyal to the country and want to help. And, and that's just says, says a lot. It's, it's really inspirational too. Yeah. I think, you know, Russia out of everyone was very surprised. They didn't think that Ukraine would last. They thought that basically they would give up and just give up the territory, but it's not looking like that. And I don't, and you have these people who are with so little are accomplishing so much. And that is such a major, major, major inspirational thing because they're up against heavy artillery, more more soldiers, manpower, technology, and they're fighting with everything they have for survival. And they have not given up. Unbelievable. It's so inspiring. Well, thank you so much for your help when I was there and helping us to translate 24 hours a day, whether it was 1 a.m. and or or you know, in the middle of the day, you were always answering the phone and helping us. I couldn't thank you enough for that. And that one time I had you on the phone with Tim translating his hour-long story about the snake that jumped out of his car and all that stuff. It was like 2 a.m. for you and I didn't even realize it. I can't thank you enough for helping us help so many women and children and elderly individuals. Your translation and your mom, both helping to translate for all of us was so helpful. And for anyone listening that feels like helpless, that's listening to this and wants to find out like, well, how can I help with Ukraine? What can I do? What, What would be your best suggestion? 
I think the big organizations that are really trying to help, um, uh, one of them is helping to get all this aid over to Ukraine. It's um, a shipping company called Meast, M-E-E-S-T. They've been just shipping so much humanitarian aid and they do have uh, their website has... um, um, basically a, a link where you can essentially donate to help to provide costs to ship humanitarian aid over to Ukraine. And um, I believe it's meest.com, um, M-E-E-S-T.com. And also another big organization is Razum, R-A-Z-M. I love Razum. Yeah, they're big. Um, you could donate directly to them. So they're very much involved. And also the third one is World Central Kitchen. They're incredible. They're incredible. I love World Central Kitchen. So they had a um they had a tent up uh, a few tents down from us on the border. And they had amazing, literally gourmet meals, like hot meals, 24 hours a day coming out for everyone on the border. And they're actually now have people in several cities delivering foods to the elderly that can't leave home. Yeah. Exactly. So that's a major, major thing because like my biggest worry with my grandma is like, what will happen if it runs out of food? Like that, you know, being safe in the physical house is one thing, but if there's, you know, no uh, supply chain for food, for products, for medication, like what's next. And that's our biggest fear. That's why we hope that hopefully there's some kind of a resolution is going to come because um, I don't know how long some of the older folks in the country are going to hold up. Well, praying for resolution and praying for safety of your family and friends over there too. And thank you so much. And thank you so much, Natalia. I want to say thank you for donation. Everybody for donation for my um, cousin's uh, child who had a baby. She had a baby yesterday. It's a baby girl. She's so cute. Yeah, we talked in Nepal. And yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for donation for her. And she said thank you very much. She was so help. happy for you for her because she's alone there. Only the girl, but you know, gave her room to live and. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, thank you both for helping us to translate and for everything you've done. Thank you so much. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness fad you'd like debunk next and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at Danielle Blardo MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact versus Fiction. And be sure to tune in next week.